listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Um, welcome to The Venue here at Southcrest. My name is Tyler, one of the pastors here. Uh, and if you have your Bibles this morning, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 22. It's going to be on the screen as well, um, or you can take that Bible in front of you. Uh, we'd love for you to take that home with you if you want a Bible or need a Bible. But uh, it is good to see you guys. Happy Father's Day to our fathers out there. Um, and I think because it's Father's Day, I think it's appropriate uh, that I start a little bit differently today. I'm going to start with a few dad jokes, okay? Um, if you'll just bear with me, brace yourself, okay? Dad jokes, um, we had in, in the last service, we had several kids in there who were like giving me thumbs up or thumbs down. So it was really discouraging. Um, but uh, you can do that if you want. Um, but we're gonna start with some dad jokes, okay? So here we go. What did the buffalo say to his kid as he was leaving to go to work? Okay, bye, son. Okay, there's, all right, there's, there's one, all right. <clears throat> Here's another one. What, what do you call a dad who falls through the ice? A popsicle, right? A popsicle. Okay, last one, and then I'll get back to what I'm probably better at, hopefully. Um, uh, so Father's Day, I was searching for, for some jokes, you know, and I was like, man, like dads like pizza, okay? So maybe I can find a joke about dads eating pizza, but all the ones that I could find were just way too cheesy. Okay, yeah, there we go. All right, thank you for, for, for uh, laughing a little bit, even if it was just like sympathetic laugh, okay? Um, glad you guys are here. Welcome to the venue um, where we start the service with dad jokes. Uh, okay, Genesis chapter 22. That's where we're going to be today. That's where we're going to camp out. So the next couple of weeks, today and next week, We've got a couple of standalone messages. Um, what we mean by that is these are just messages that, that don't really coincide with the series. Um, typically, we go through books of the Bible. Um, and so today and next week, myself this week and Brandon next week, we'll have a couple of standalone series that'll lead into our summer series through the Psalms. And so this morning, we're going to be in Genesis 22. Genesis 22, it's, it's probably one of the most famous passages uh, in all of the Old Testament. Um, the story of Abraham and Isaac, okay? Abraham and Isaac, and, and really not just famous within like Christian circles or the Christian sphere, but, but even outside of that, it's considered one of the greatest stories that, that's ever told. Um, and, and one of the, re really, really there's several reasons, but, but some of the reasons that it's considered this, and, and I even hesitate to say story, because when we think of story, we think of something that maybe isn't true or, or something like that. Um, but this is true. This happened. But why it's considered one of the greatest stories ever told is because when you read it, you experience like almost every emotion possible. Like you, you find yourself excited about it. Like you find yourself maybe anxious. There's moments in this story where you're going to be angry. Like you're like, what is going on here? You're confused. There's anxiety. Um, it runs the gamut, okay, when it comes to emotions. But that's why it's considered one of the greatest stories that, that you could ever read. But to understand Genesis 22, we need to understand the context that got us to Genesis 22. So Genesis chapter 1 through 11, I'm just going to summarize it really quick, is essentially the basic storyline of the entire Bible. And it's this, God created everything. 
He created the world. And then with intentionality, he created you and he created me. He created humanity. And he, he created us with a specific purpose of ruling the world on his behalf while living in a relationship with him. And so that's, that's, that's what God desired. That's what he wanted. But along the way, humanity chose not rule in relationship, but sin and rebellion. And with that came violence, came death, which culminates in Genesis chapter 11 with the story of the Tower of Babel, where, where humans, they, they build this tower to try to reach God, to try to get to God. And God kind of laughs at them and says, you know, I'm gonna have to come down to you just so you can even like have any conversation with me. And he comes down to them and he scatters them all across the world because of the rebelliousness. And so we get to Genesis chapter 11 and we finish chapter 11. And I think the appropriate question is, what is God going to do now? Like, how's he going to fix this? In fact, I don't think you can overstate like how massive of a problem this is because we were meant to live in this, this relationship with God. Now we're separated from him. How's he going to fix it? What's he going to do? Genesis chapter 12, insert Abraham. God meets with Abraham. He promises this man, Abraham, to bless him with land and with family by giving him a descendant, by giving him a son. And through his son, he says, I'm going to rescue and redeem the entire world. Well, how are you going to do that, God? Because through your son, Abraham, or through your son, Isaac, is going to come Jesus the Messiah. And all of that sounds great. And that sounds awesome. And we're like, God has a plan. But when you get to Genesis chapter 12, you start to realize really, really quickly, hey, there's some major obstacles that Abraham and his wife, Sarah, are going to have to overcome. Let me just share with you, okay? So Sarah was barren. She can't have kids. So how in the world is God going to bless Abraham with a son and thereby, by blessing with a son, rescue and redeem the entire world if his wife cannot have kids? And then secondly, when God promises this blessing to them, they're both 75. <laughs> How many of you know many 75-year-olds who are having kids in here? Yeah, no one's raising their hand, okay? No one does. And so it, it, it's crazy. Fast forward 25 years. At the young age of 100, God comes through with his promise and blesses them with a son, Isaac. Abraham and Sarah, they, they have Isaac. And so here's, here's what I want you to see. I actually heard, I heard a, a pastor share this one time. And he said, when, when Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, at the birth of Isaac, for both of their birthdays, Abraham and Isaac got diapers. Um, kind of, yeah, funny, but not really. There's no point to that. Um, but here's the thing. Everything is going good now, okay? They have their miracle baby. Life is good. They, they have their family. And that gets us up to chapter 22. Let's look at verse one. Verse one says this. After these things, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. So I want to pause there for a second because I'm just going to, like, I'm just going to kind of be a little bit vulnerable here. There's some things in this, in this first verse that, that I, I think like we can, if we know the story of Abraham, we can kind of be like, why, why is God doing this? 
So it says, first off, it says that God tested Abraham. We don't talk about that a whole lot, do we? The fact that God tests people. In fact, Brandon mentioned this last week, but you don't have to travel very far. You don't have to look very far to find pastors and teachers who will tell you that, man, if you just give your life to Jesus, if you give your life to God and you follow him, it's blessings upon blessings after that. You'll get health, wealth, prosperity. That's what will come when you follow him. But here's the thing. We never see that in here. In fact, like probably quite the opposite is true. A lot of times when you follow after Jesus, life is going to get harder. It's going to get more difficult for you. Why? Because you're swimming upstream while everyone else is swimming downstream. So it says God tested Abraham. And then the second thing that, that I think I just kind of wrestle with here is Abraham has already shown radical obedience in his life up to this point. Just read chapters 12 up to 22, and you'll see he's left everything that he knows because God asked him to. He's left every single person that he's comfortable with because God has asked him to. He's waited 25 years for God to fulfill a promise. How many of you are willing to wait 25 years? Probably not many of us, right? Like he's already shown radical obedience in his life up to this point. And so if I'm Abraham, just being honest with you, if I'm Abraham and God comes knocking at my door right now, I'm looking at Sarah and I'm going, hey, cut the TV off, turn off the lights. We're not home. <laughs> like if we're just being honest, but that's exactly what, what God does. Look at verse two. Verse two, he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. If you were to read chapters 12 to 22, the, the narrative goes really, really fast. There's a lot of details, but it doesn't go into a whole lot of explanation on the details. Once you get to chapter 22, it slows down a lot. And I think that's intentional. Moses, who's the author of, of Genesis, I think he does that with intentionality because he wants us to see what's at stake here. He wants us to see what's at stake here because here's the thing. As if sacrificing your child isn't bad enough, right? But on top of that, your child's survival is responsible for the eternal souls of the human race. Why? Because through your child is going to eventually come Jesus. Yet God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want you to offer him up as a burnt offering to me. I think as we read this, just these first two verses, I don't think it would be inappropriate. Like as we read this, some of you may already be asking this, but going, why would God ask him that? That doesn't make sense to me. Why, why is God asking him that? Like, is, is God mean? Is he evil? Is he vindictive? Those are questions for another sermon and another time, okay? But, but let me answer with a short answer, and it's this. God knew he was never going to allow Abraham to kill Isaac. He knew he was never going to allow Abraham to kill Isaac. So for now, as we read this, here's how I think we need to read this. Isaac represents the one thing that you and I love the most. Isaac represents the one thing that you and I 
trust the most, that we treasure the most in life, the one thing in life that, that we feel like gives us meaning. And I think what God is asking Abraham and really us by proxy as we, as we read this is, are you prepared to love me completely and unconditionally? Are you prepared to give me access to that one thing that you love the most in your life? Is there anything or is there anyone in your life that you love that if I asked you for it, you would say no? What is that thing for you? If God came to you right now and asked you that one thing that you would tighten your grip rather than living with an open hand. Because I think what, what God is doing here is he's saying, hey, take that, that kid you love so much. Take that career that you love so much. Take that status that you love so much. Take that good thing that you've elevated into a God thing and offer it up to me. Because if you don't, what's going to happen is it's gonna end up being a weight that you were never meant to carry. That's what's happening in this moment. Let's finish up with verses three through 14. He says, so Abraham got up, or says, so Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took with him two of his young men and his son, Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and he set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over, to, go over there to worship. Then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father. And he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and he placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and he said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. So I think when we read this, I think an, uh, I, probably an obvious takeaway that we could leave with um, is, man, like Abraham had amazing faith here. Like he trusted God. He had amazing faith. Like, like I want to be like that. Like we can leave with that. But I think more than that, what this story is telling us and what this story is about is it's about God's provision in our lives. In fact, if you just look at verse 14, it says, and Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, it, it, like, like this whole chapter, that's the theme that dominates it, that God will provide. He will provide it for you. 
I love what, what the, the original Hebrew, like if you were to translate this from the Hebrew directly into the English, um, it actually wouldn't be the Lord will provide. That flows better, but it actually would be the Lord will see to it. He will see to it. And I, I, I love that because, because when someone tells you, hey, I'm going to see to it, what does that do for you? One, it takes a weight off of your shoulders, doesn't it? Like you don't ever think about it again. You don't ever worry about it again. That person's going to see to it. And so what Abraham is saying here, when he said, when he names the mountain, the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will see to it. Is he saying the Lord sees you? He knows exactly what you need. And when he sees you, he's going to act on it. He's going to act on what you need the most. And I just want to be honest with you. And I don't tell you this to like garner sympathy or anything. I've been in ministry almost 18 years. And, and just like, like ministry can be hard at times. It can be really, really difficult. And there have been moments in my life since I've been in vocational ministry, thankfully not here at Southcrest, there have been moments in my life where I literally would wake up on Sundays and just start crying because I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to go. And you know what got me through those moments? The only thing that got me through those moments was the fact that God is my provider, that he will see to it. And I know that, I, I know that there's people here that, that can speak to that as well, that can testify to that, that, that there have been moments in your life where the only thing that got you through those difficulties is the fact that God is, is your provider, that he would see to it. And so this morning, I want to just share with you really quick three things, three ways that this name, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, can provide you all of the comfort that you need, Okay. The first one is this. Jehovah Jireh means that I can trust God's promises even when I don't know the particulars. I can trust his promises even when I don't know the details, okay? Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you in here are planners? You can raise your hand. Planners, okay? A few, not as many as I thought. I love to plan if it's something fun, okay? Like if it's a vacation or something like that, I love to plan. If it's not, then it's the bane of my existence, right? Like I, I hate it, but thankfully I'm married to uh, uh, my wife who loves to plan. And I know that if I'm going to love her well, then, then we have to schedule moments where we can sit down and kind of plan out our week or our month or what feels like our entire lives. Um, I'm kidding on that last part, but sometimes it feels like that. But, but I, I don't want to speak for you planners, but I feel like if, if you're a planner in here, when you read the story of Abraham, it probably builds a lot of anxiety in your life, okay? And here's why. When, Abraham got, when God calls Abraham for the very first time, he looks at Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to go. And Abraham goes, where? And, and God goes, I'll show you. Okay. And then later on, he goes, Abraham, I'm going to bless you with the son. And Abraham goes, how? And God goes, I'll take care of it. Just follow me. Okay. And then later on, he says, Abraham, that son that I bless you with, now I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham's like, why? And God looks at him and says, I'll show you. Just climb the mountain. Here's what I think is important here. So much of the Christian life, in fact, I would go as far to say, 
all, almost all of the Christian life. So much of the Christian life is following God even when we don't have all of the details. Even when we don't know all of the particulars, right? But the message here, when we read it, isn't to have more faith. It isn't to like believe better. In fact, Brandon talked about it last week. The message here is actually, who's the object of your faith? Where's your faith placed? Because if your faith is placed in your kids, if your faith is placed in your your, your status, your finances, your career, then man, you're going to be left with a lot of anxiety. You're going to be left scared to death. But if your faith is placed in the Lord, even when you don't know the details, you can still have peace. Why? Because he's your provider and you know he's good and he comes through in all of his promises. Look back at verse 2. Verse 2, it says, Take your son, he said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah. Some of your versions may even say, Go to the region of Moriah. So it's like God's going, Hey, I just want you to go to this place called Moriah. And once you get there, he says, Then I want you to take him and offer him up as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. I'm not even going to tell you which mountain yet. Just get to Moriah. And once you get to Moriah, then I'll show you which mountain it is. This is difficult, right? Like we want the the exact when, where, how, and why. But he looks at Abraham and he says, I want you to go to the region. Then when you get to the region, that's when I'll tell you which mountain it's going to be. How many of us, and and I'm going to raise my hand here because, because I'm like, this is me. I'm speaking to myself. How many of us want the final destination, but we aren't willing to make the first faith step? That's me, because it's hard, right? Like, it's difficult. God will often give you a direction, but not the destination. That's what we need to understand. And I wonder how much he would show us if we just walked the path of obedience. How much more would he show us if we just did that? Because remember, guys, he's... He's provided the principles. He's provided like, like the, the, the parameters for us to live by, right? And when we do, often then it's that God reveals the place to us. Look at verse four. It says, on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the, in the distance. Well, how in the world was Abraham able to see the place? Because he was in the region, okay? He took that first faith step. He was in the region there. And I'm telling you, this is life-changing for you if you allow it to be, because you don't have to know the entire plan if you know the provider is with you. You don't. And so here's my question for us. Are you obsessing over the details today, or are you in the region of obedience? Are you obsessing over all of the details, the intricacies, like what's going to happen this time, this time, this time, or are you just in the region of obedience? I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow. So Jehovah Jireh means I can trust God's promises even when I don't know the particulars. The second thing that it means is is this. Problems are opportunities for God to prove his faithfulness. Problems are opportunities for God to prove his faithfulness. Think about this for a second. From Abraham's perspective, okay, what God was going to do through Isaac, which is, 
rescue and redeem the entire world because through Isaac was going to come Jesus. So what God was going to do through Isaac stood in complete contradiction to what God was going to do to Isaac, which is kill him. So Abraham is, is at an impasse here. He can either walk, you know, the path of, of human wisdom, or he can walk the path of faith. What's he, what's he going to do? Well, to get to the mountain, we're told that it was a, a three-day journey. That's, can you imagine, like, all of the questions, all of the anxiety, like, just all of the things that are building up in Abraham as he's going on this journey to the mountain. Can you imagine, like, like, like how easy it would have been to rationalize yourself out of doing that? And we know, we know it would have been easy because we've been there before, right? Like, we've been in those moments where we just try to rationalize, like, this doesn't make sense. I don't, I'm not going to do this. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense right now. We know that's easy because we've, we've been there. But what we see is in those three days, Abraham decided that this problem was an opportunity for God to prove his faithfulness. How do we know that? Well, Hebrews chapter 11, which talks about Abraham, and specifically this story tells us in verse 19 that Abraham reasoned in this moment that if, if, if he had to go through with this, that God could raise Isaac back from the dead. He reasoned in his mind that if he had to go through with this, that God could raise Isaac back from the dead. He didn't know how, he didn't know where, he didn't know why, he didn't know what, but he focused on God's promise, which was, I'm going to rescue and redeem the world through your son. And it didn't make sense to him, but he focused on God's promise that God was going to come through with that. And isn't it interesting that the solution that he came to in his head was resurrection? Isn't it like, isn't that like, that's kind of wild to me because here's the thing. Abraham had no frame of reference for resurrection. He had no like, like, like idea. He'd never seen anyone come back from the dead. He'd never experienced it himself, but he said, you know what? If I have to go through with this, God's going to raise him back from the dead. He's going to bring him back to life for you and I, when life gets hard, when we come across problems, do we have a mind that defaults to all of the miraculous ways that God can work something out? Or do we just try to rationalize out of radical obedience? How do you live? When we talk about Jehovah Jireh, I think, I think we often go to verse 14, which says Abraham named that place the Lord will provide, which is Abraham named that place Jehovah Jireh. But I think an even better verse is verse 8. Right? Because it says Abraham answered to Abraham answered Isaac, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. In verse 14, God had already provided it. In verse 8, God hadn't provided anything yet. But yet Abraham is, is so confident. Why? Because I believe on that three-day journey, what he did is he just rehearsed those promises of God over and over and over again. So that when Isaac looked at Abraham and said, Father, where's the burnt offering? Like we have everything else. Where's the offering? Abraham looked at him and it was just instinctive for him to go, the Lord will provide it, my son. The Lord will provide it for my parents in here. Crawford Lords, who's a pastor, he says this. He says, help your kids keep their minds full of scripture and talk about God's ability to step into every situation. 
Verse six, I think is a great example of this. Look at verse six. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son, Isaac. In other words, Isaac carried the wood up the mountain, not Abraham. So what this tells us is that Isaac wasn't a scrawny little boy, right? In fact, most scholars will tell you they, they, they believe that Isaac was probably somewhere in between the ages of 16 to 34. So what that tells us is that he could have easily outran Abraham. He could have out-wrestled Abraham. He could have gotten away. The only reason that Isaac was, was able to be tied down on the altar is because he was willing to be tied down on the altar. Why was he willing to do that? Because I think on those three days up to the mountain, his father's faith rubbed off on him. That's what I think. And here's why that's important, because Isaacs like that don't just happen. Isaacs like that come from kids who watch their parents follow in radical obedience, even when life is hard. And so I think, I think his father's faith rubbed off on him, and that's why he was willing to, to, to be tied down, to be laid down. Jehovah Jireh means I can trust God's promises even when I don't know the particulars. It means problems are an opportunity for God to prove his faithfulness. And then lastly is this. Jehovah Jireh means that no matter what happens, my eternity is secure. It's secure. Look at verse 14. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. At the end of the day, this story is not about Abraham. It's not about Isaac. This story is about Jesus. And you may be sitting there going, well, how do you get that? Because I never saw Jesus's name like in this story. Um, here's what I want us to do. I want us to, to all like get in the habit of reading scripture with a lens that is always looking at how it points us to Christ. Okay, how it points us to Jesus. And what we see here is that Abraham names this random mountain, not after his problem, but after God's provision. Okay, after God's provision. Romans chapter eight, verse 32 tells us that God did not spare his own son for us. So will he withhold anything good from us? The rhetorical answer there is absolutely not. God's not gonna withhold anything good from you. He will not spare anything good from you. Isaac here, when we read this, is a picture of the sacrifice that God would one day make on our behalf because of our sin with Jesus. So I want you just to look. I want you to see some ways that Isaac and Jesus are, are similar here, okay? Isaac and Jesus were both sons of a promise given years before their birth. Isaac and Jesus were both miraculous births. They were both firstborns loved by their fathers. Isaac and Jesus both went on a three-day journey to arrive at their place of sacrifice. And Isaac and Jesus both carried their wood on their backs. Isaac and Jesus willingly laid down to their father. But here's, that's where the similarities end. That's where the similarities end, because here's the thing, guys. Abraham looks at Isaac and he says, Isaac, God's going to provide the sacrifice. 
Jesus is that sacrifice that both Abraham and Isaac were waiting for. Yes, God provided a ram in the thickets. It was a temporary sacrifice, but Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice that Abraham and Isaac were waiting for, that we were waiting for. John 3.16 says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son for you and I so that we don't have to perish, but that we can have everlasting life, eternal life. God sacrificed his son for your sin, for your shame, for your guilt. There was no substitute for Jesus. Why? Because he was the substitute. Because he was the substitute. He was our substitute. And so I don't know, I don't know like, like which of these resonates with you, these points. I know that, that for me, like, like one of the reasons I wanted to teach on this is because I, I do feel like God is doing something in my heart when it comes to his provision and, and him being my provider and him seeing to it. And so I was, like, I was like, man, I want to teach on this because this is what God is doing in me. And so for some of you in here, like, like you may be sitting there going, man, I, I'm living right now with my, my fist closed. Like there are some things in my life that I just do not want to hand over to God. My challenge to you this morning is, is to do that. Hand it over. Trust the one who knows absolutely everything that you need. Trust the one who's good and who will never withhold anything good from you. Trust him with it. He's your provider. We're going to sing a song to end this morning. The band's going to come back up and it's an old song, but it's a song that, that probably a lot of us know. Um, it's called Jaira. And in that song, it says that I can trust him in every circumstance. And I wonder if you can say that today. That you can trust God in every circumstance that life throws at you. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you trust him this morning? He's your provider. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 